welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Seated. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. And you can be seated. Praise the Lord. We love you. Happy New Year to everybody. First Sunday of 2024. Uh, I hope you're looking forward to this year with great expectation. You know, I just spent some time out of town. Um, you know, actually, I, I took my son and his fiancee to Tampa. To He's got a job down there. He's landed for June, and they were looking for apartments. But they got to um, go do their thing. And I had just two or three days just to sort of pray and seek the Lord. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to this year with great expectation for our church. I believe God has great things in store for us. Can you agree with that with me this morning? Amen. Well, listen, we're glad you made it out. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're looking for information about the church, you've probably already been greeted by Amy or someone on our welcome team, but they can give you more information. You can also go to our website, but our vision is real simple. I repeat it every week, not just so our guests can know what it is, but so our members can embrace it. And our vision is really surrounded by three core values, and those values are that we love God with all of our hearts. The Bible says that we should love God with your heart, mind, soul, and everything that's in you. So we love God with all of our hearts. That's a value we embrace here. Not only that, but then we value each other as much as God values them. How many of you realize God gave his only son? That's pretty important, right? So he must value you. So we value people no matter where they're from, right side of the tracks, wrong side of the tracks, high or low. We value everybody. And then the last value that we really embrace is this, is that we're going to use our gifts to serve in our church and to serve the kingdom of God. We don't want to be a bunch of spiritual couch potatoes. We want to figure out what our gifting is and go use it to serve the Lord. And I believe if we do that, I believe we will be a church where you can meet friends, worship God regularly, hear the word of God, and go be a blessing to the world around you. And I believe long term that means that we grow as a church, we reach people, you know, not so much that we're growing to get a number, but really growing so that we can reach people that are lost, that are unchurched, that may not even have a church home. That's really where our heart is, right? If, if people have a church home, great, man, encourage them to go there. But man, our goal is to reach the unchurched, the lost, and the hurting. Amen? And I believe if we embrace those values, we can expect more of that in 2024. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, uh, we want to worship God with our giving. We put this right after worship because giving is a form of worship. It is the way we honor and obey God, number one, but it's also, uh, it's really paying homage to him. It's saying, I recognize who you are in my life, and I want to acknowledge that beyond my words. I want to actually do that with my giving. And so the way we do that is through tithes and through offerings. Tithes are 10% of our income, and then offering is anything over and above that. And what the Scripture says is this. It says that if you will give your tithe, each person that calls a church a home, whatever church they're in, if they'll give their church, uh, their, church their tithe, there will be abundant meat in, my, in his house to meet all the needs of God. And I would tell you that, that if everybody in our church tithed, we'd have so much money, we wouldn't know what to do with it. And uh, that, that would mean we'd have to give it away and be a blessing. Amen? And so I'd encourage you today as you're giving just to thank God that our needs are met as a church and that through your faithful giving, your needs are met as well because the Bible says that's a seed you're sowing towards your financial future. And every seed produces a harvest if we mix it with faith. Amen? Amen. So if you're giving by check or cash, you can put that in the offering envelope in the seat back in front of you. As a matter of fact, if you give me a check, you can just write it to Grace Family and don't even need to fill out an envelope. And if you're giving uh, online, there are online methods for you to give as well. But we want to take a moment, whether you're giving physically and bringing those offerings to the offering bucket here uh, after the, you know, in the meet and greet in just a moment, or if you've given online already, we want to take a moment to worship God. So let's do that right now. Amen. 
Father, we thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you care about every aspect of our life. You care about us spiritually. You care about us mentally. You care about us emotionally. You care about us physically. And you care about us financially. And I thank you that you've given us a method that when we give and worship you, you've promised that you will give back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and you'll do it through the hands of men. That means that, Father, you'll give us favor for raises, jobs, promotions, increase, and I thank you for that taking place in the lives of our givers this morning, and I thank you that the needs of this church are met according to your riches, your abundant riches and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to dismiss our kids first through fifth grade in just a moment, but I just want to remind you of a couple of things coming up. Uh, This coming Friday, everybody say, this coming Friday... I can't think of a better way to kick your year off than to spend a little time with Sam and some others that come out on Friday night at 7 o'clock for our upper room meeting. It's a chance to seek the Lord. It's a chance to uh, share Scripture together as the Lord leads, and uh, Sam leads that, and it just depends on how the Lord leads, how that's going to turn out every Friday, on the Fridays we do it. But this coming Friday at 7 p.m. is our upper room. So if you just want to get away for a few moments, unplug and seek the Lord with a group of believers whose heart is hungry for Jesus, then make that out on this coming Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then also, do want to let you know that the last Wednesday night of this month, that's Wednesday the 31st, we have our Wednesday night services normally, but that Wednesday night is going to be designated as our financial update for the church. So once a year, I try to give you that information, and then monthly, if you're getting emails, I send that information to you monthly as well. But I'm going to let you know where we're at financially, talk to you about the building plan and what's going on there. It's been a little still stagnant for a little bit, so we're going to talk about what's happening with that. So if you call yourself a member of Grace, you want to know what's going on with the church and you care, make it out for the 31st, the last Wednesday night of January. We're going to be doing that at that time. Amen? All right, stand to your feet with me. We want to dismiss our first through fifth graders uh, with Joe to their classroom. Give Joe a hand. Let him know how much we appreciate him. Amen. Let's meet and greet and fellowship for a few moments, then we'll jump into the Word. More together. And don't forget the last Wednesday of January, uh, January 131, that'll be the last day of the month, actually. Uh, We'll be doing a financial update on the church. You can make it out Wednesday night if you want to know that information. And then also, just real quickly, um, on Wednesday nights, uh, we do have a sort of a combined nursery toddler class. Uh, that we do along with our youth group, our elementary age nursery toddlers are sort of all in one room. Um, we do have need of two teachers if you're interested, right? Right now, Aaron and uh, Malia are pretty much doing that uh, with a little bit of help from some others, but it'd be great to have somebody that's willing to commit to one Wednesday night a month. Uh, if you're interested in doing that, make sure you see uh, Aaron and Malia. If you're wondering who Aaron and Malia are, they're back in the toddler's room teaching this morning, so let them know that. All right, uh, I want to continue along the lines, although the holidays are pretty much behind us, um, I'm going to continue this series on God's gift of love because how many of you realize God's gift of love never stops? Amen. So I want to talk to you for a few more weeks about God's gift of love, and today I want to talk to you about the fact that God is all about your freedom. How many of you like being free? How many of you like being bound? Good, nobody answered it that way, all right? God's all about your freedom. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you so much that you're so good to us. Thank you for uh, Jesus and that he came to die on a cross for us and shed his blood so that we could have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I ask you that through that relationship this morning, your Holy Spirit will minister life to us through your word. 
I pray that you'll anoint me to speak your word and say the things that you desire to have me say, that your will would be accomplished this morning. And we could truly say, I'm better because I came to church. My life is better. I've moved more in my relationship with God. I'm closer to him, and things are improving in my life. I give you praise and thanks for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I said, this is a series is titled God's Gift of Love, and as we read that opening text, we see that God is love, and it goes on to tell us that anyone that uh, knows God will show that love to others, and you know, this series really we've been teaching for the last nine weeks comes on the, uh, at the end of another series we taught on how do we as believers show the love of God to others, and, uh, and, and what this verse really points out is, is although we can talk about what love looks like and how we should display that, if we want to display that consistently, what this verse says is that we need to know God. We need to know him, and that word know means is the word experience. We need to have an experience with him in our life. How many of you realize that we serve a real and living Jesus? Uh, thank you for a couple amens. How many of you realize we serve a real and living Jesus? Amen. We serve a real and living Jesus. He's real. He's alive. And we're not talking about a theory here. We should all have personal experiences with who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says when we have that experience of coming to know him in a real and personal way in those moments, that's where love becomes real in us and we can live it. We don't have to try to do it. It just comes out of us. And so we've been taking a look at if that's the case then, if we got to know God to walk in love, then who is God, right? That's a pretty big question. There's lots of ideas about who God is. But the scripture teaches us certain things about God. And one of the things that that opening text tells us is that God is love. So God is love. So if we can find a good biblical definition of love, then we can know who God is, right? And we find that definition right there in scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. That verse says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. So what we find here is a definition of love, but what we've said is this, is if God is love, then we could say God is those things. I think oftentimes we read these verses of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and we look at them as, that's the way I should be. And it certainly is the way we should be. I need to be patient. I need to be kind. But I think very rarely we look at it from the perspective of, that is who God is. This is a, a, a Scripture that whenever we look at our understanding of God, we have to interpret who He is through the light of these verses. We have to interpret who he is through the light of love. That'll help us a lot of times when we see things in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, where he got angry or he passed judgment. He absolutely did those things, and that's part of who God is. But in the light of love, it helps us round off the edges and understand that a little better. And so when we understand, and, 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 and very few places does it say in Scripture that God is judgment or God is anger although he displays those things at times, but it clearly tells us that God is love. So he's the epitome of these. And, and we said you could go through these verses and you could replace love with God then very safely, and, and you'd have a description of who God is. And so we've looked at the fact that God is patient. That's who God is. He is a patient God. He's not quick to get angry. He's patient with a lost world. When somebody is a sinner and they haven't come to him, he's not angry with them. 
He's not mad at them. He's not ready to pour out fury upon them. There'll come a day where justice requires that. But he's not, that's not him. He's patient with them, long-suffering, beckoning a, a lost world to come to him. And as believers, as we walk our path of growing to be more like Jesus, how many of you are perfect in that yet? How many of you are perfect? None of us are. How many of you made failures before in trying to live like Jesus? Raise your hand if that's you. Right, hang on, I'm looking. Because if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. I'm going to bring you to the front. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you all night. Once again, how many of you are not perfect? Raise your hand if you qualify. I got good news for you this morning. Not because you're not perfect. I got good news for you because God loves you and he's patient with you. Because of the blood of Jesus, he actually doesn't see your imperfection. He looks at you and says, there's a new creation. There's an overcomer. There's a conqueror. And I love them in spite of their failures. Now, our failures could hinder and hurt us. But if we'll turn to God, he can forgive those and we can move beyond them. Amen? And so God is a God that is patient with us. And we could go through all the other definitions we find in there, but we come to verse 6, and this is where I want to settle today. It says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now we could also say, God then does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So one of the attributes of God is, is that he doesn't delight in evil, and that he, and, and that he would rather see truth take place than evil. So what does that mean, really, he doesn't delight in evil? Well, that word evil means this. It means injustice. It also means in iniquity. It also means unfairness. You ever heard somebody say, well, that's just not fair. You ever heard that? You know, we got a generation of people that live on that's just not fair, right? And they live as victims. Life isn't fair, and they're a victim. Listen, life isn't fair. That's a reality. And, and, and here's something you need to know about God. He doesn't rejoice when it's not fair. You know, a lot of people would say, well, that's just not fair. Just suck it up, right? Like you just got to live with it. And there's a certain truth to manning up when, you, when life doesn't do you right. But here's the thing you got to understand about God. He doesn't want you to be a victim to unfairness. When he, when, and how many of you, unfairness really happens. I mean, we got people in our life that treat us wrong, let you down. You got things that just happen. People get diagnosed with sickness that they never brought upon themselves. That, none of that's fair. But the thing we understand about God is that, that iniquity, that, 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 that unfairness, God does not rejoice in that. He doesn't like it. So when you say it's not fair, don't get stuck in the not fairness part of it and live as a victim the rest of your life. God says, I'm not happy about it either. So he's not, uh, he's not happy about unfairness or, or, or evil or bad things happening, right? And then the word truth means this, what is fair and accurate and honest and real. So God is happy when what is fair and accurate and honest takes place. You know, I think a lot of times when we read that then, God, you know, is, does not delight in evil, he is, but rejoices in the truth. We think that what that means is, is that God is happy when we have a good moral character. I think we look at it in light of our actions because so many times we're conditioned to think about our actions when it comes to our relationship with God. I would tell you this, I didn't plan on saying this, but you should be more conditioned to think about the blood of Jesus than you are to think about your actions. You'd be much easier and your relationship with God would be much more enjoyable. Because if you just think about your actions all the time, then you're going to see all your imperfections and you're going to think he's angry with you. And he's not because of the blood of Jesus. 
And so what we find to be true is, is that God here, he's, not, he's happy when truth prevails, when, when good things happen, when, when fairness happens in our life. And so sometimes I think what happens is, is some people think that means that, you know, when, when God rejoices in the truth and doesn't rejoice in evil, that means he's happy when you're living right, right? And I will tell you this, he is absolutely happy when you're living right. Why? Because living right produces good things. <laughs> Not living right produces bad things. Not from the hand of God, from your own stupidity. Amen. When you make bad choices, I always say it this way, you play in the devil's backyard, his dog will bite you, regardless of whether you're a believer or not. Now, God is willing to help you get out of it. And so God does rejoice when we live right. He's very happy about it. We see, we see this very clearly. For, notice John chapter 17 and verse 17, though, what this verse really is talking about is not just you living right and of a good moral character, it's about you being free from evil. Being set free. John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said it this way. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Remember, God rejoices in the truth. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what is he saying there? He says, God is happy then when his word comes to pass in your life. When his promises and his blessings come to pass in your life. And he says that when that happens, notice what he says, that first word in John 17. He says, you become sanctified. What does that word sanctify mean? That word sanctify means to cleanse or to separate from evil, right? And so God becomes happy when you become cleansed and separated from evil. And I want to talk to you about that in two respects. Because I think, as I said earlier, a lot of times when people think about you being sanctified, what they think that means is, is that you're walking holy. You know, I've been sanctified. But, but being sanctified, is, it does apply to living a holy life and living free from a sinful wayward, uh, sinful nature. But it also means living free from the evil repercussions of sin, living free from that, being set apart from something that is evil and ungodly and not good. So I want to talk to you about that. So the first thing we need to understand that God is happy about, then if he doesn't rejoice in evil but rejoices in the truth, he is happy when we get separated from an iniquitous or carnal ways of living and begin to walk in truth. So this is a basic thing we need to understand. God is happy when we walk in truth, and we see it in 3 John verses 2 through 4. It says, dear friend, look at your neighbor and say, dear friend. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now notice verse 3. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Notice this. This is John, this is John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is saying this through John. Then God is saying this through John. He says, I have no greater joy, no greater joy when it comes to a believer, right? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so notice Paul, uh, not Paul, John said in, in 3 John 2 here, he said, I recognize and I hear about you guys living holy, walking right, doing good things, living as a Christian should live. And he says, the Holy Spirit wants you to know through me that I have no greater joy than you walk in the truth. And so the good news is that God, that God garners from this is that he's, he's happy when you do right. Look at your neighbor and say, God is happy with me when I do right. See, a lot of people, 
and not only that, not only is he happy that you do right, but here's the other piece of it that, that I really want to get to this morning. He is willing to help you do right. See, a lot of people look at God as sort of standing on the sidelines, arm folded, saying, okay, get out there and do it, right? Waiting for you to do whatever it is he's asked you to do, whether it's being obedient to the word, whether it's fulfilling something in your life, whether it's a vision he's given you. They see God as sort of standing here on the sidelines, and you're out there on the field just working hard, trying to get it done with all your strength, all your might, all your know-how, all your resources, but the Bible says God rejoices when truth prevails. And how many of you realize when you, when you enjoy something, you wind up doing it, right? Uh, just somebody throw out for me something. I'll tell you something I enjoy doing. Now, my wife has learned to enjoy it because, you know, of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. But anyway, I love watching football. I love it. How many, how many of you guys here love watching football? How many of you women don't like it? Well, I love watching football. And you know what? Because I love it, I do it. Right? I'm going to go home today and watch football. I'm going to go home tomorrow night and watch the national championship. I'm, and if there's another football game on after that, when the, U, the, the UFL or whatever that comes on, I'm going to watch that too. Because I like watching football. And that's something interesting about God. See, God rejoices in you walking in the truth. But here's the thing about God. Because he enjoys it so much, he is willing to help you do it. He's not willing to stand on the sidelines arm folded and say, go live holy while I watch and see if you live up to my expectation. That's not God. Man. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us, you know, that we don't know how to pray for things as we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings and yearnings that can't be our, our, uttered in articulate speech. It's talking about praying in tongues, but it talks about a quality of the Holy Spirit. And, and it says when, when, when he joins together with our infirmities, if you look at the Greek rendering of that, it means he gets down in the pit with us in the midst of the problem that we're praying for and works with us through it. So here's something you need to understand about God. If you're struggling living holy, if you're struggling with a habit, and I believe as I prepared this this morning, some people here need to hear this. I believe God's got deliverance for you this morning. If you're struggling with a habit, you're struggling with a lifestyle, you're struggling with something you can't seem to shake, and you're trying to do it because you love God so much and you want to. God says, I am not on the sidelines taking joy in you struggling with that. My joy is jumping in there with you and getting my hands dirty to help you rise up and live above it. See, God is a God that wants to help us. And you know, i got to tell you something. Before Jesus came, he was restricted in how much he could do that. Because sin was a true barrier between God and man before Jesus came. Sin separated man from God. And so God wanted to get into and help man. And he could limitedly as man would exercise faith. But man, after Jesus came and he shed his blood and the wall of partition was taken down and the veil was torn and the Spirit of God came out amongst us, God was saying something to us. No longer do you have to struggle with iniquity and evil on your own. I am here to help you with it. See, God doesn't expect us to measure up. He wants to help us step up. Amen? Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19 says, And I will give them one heart 
and a new spirit I will put within them. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So what is he saying? He's saying the day that Jesus comes, I'm going to change your nature first of all. I'm going to take a stony heart, a fleshy heart. That's a, that's a symbol of a hard heart, an evil heart. He says, I'm going to take that out of you. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in that moment, that's what he's prophesying about. I'm going to put in you a heart that is like mine. I'm going to put in you my very nature. So when the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. He places within you a brand new spirit. That's why Jesus used the term born again. Your spirit that was once born at the moment of birth gets reborn the moment you accept Jesus and a new heart he puts in you. And that new nature is a new nature that allows you to live free. But here's the thing about God. He didn't just give you a new nature, so now you're left to live free by the nature that is in you. He actually says, not only that, now that I cleaned them up and I put a holy heart in them, now I'm going to come live in them so I can empower them and help them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 says, and God has said, I will Man, this is such a powerful thing to think about when you read these, this, 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 these, these five words, I, or four words, how many of it is? Four. I will dwell in them. I want you to think about that for a moment. We lift our hands and worship, and it's right to do so because physically, God's not limited by space and time and physical things, but it's right to do so. There's a throne in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But the Holy Spirit, the third part of Godhead, lives in you. He dwells in you. That's why oftentimes when I'm worshiping, I'll stop and I'll put my hand right here as I'm worshiping. Why? Because I want to embrace the reality that I'm not worshiping a distant God. I'm worshiping a God who now lives and abides and takes up residence in me. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Because he lived, why did he do that? Well, number one, because he loves you. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves me. He came to live in you because he wants to be close to you. Not only does he love you, I saw a thing, we, me and Delisa loves, um, uh, what's the name of that place you like to shop at? I'm Christiansburg and Lynchburg, has all the home stuff. What's the name of it? Hobby Lobby. Oh, here, here, here's a good question. How many of you women like going to Hobby Lobby? How many of you men like going? All right, so we've got, now we've got common ground, right? Where was I going with this? Oh, she, she took me... Uh, she, she took me to Hobby Lobby in Christiansburg to buy some stuff and decor for one of the rooms we're redoing. And, um, and so we were buying one, and, and I saw this one statement. It was a cute little sign. It said, I love you and I like you. <laughs> you realize that's God's word to you this morning? He doesn't just love you. See, because a lot of people think, well, he loves me, so he had to help. No, he loves you, and he sent Jesus to die for you because he likes you. You may think you're an outcast, you may think nobody else likes you, but God likes you. He likes you so much he gave his son to die for you. And he came to take up residence in us. Why did he do it? Number one, because he loves us, but number two, to help us. Because how many of you realize Adam had a born, he had a, he had a pure spirit before he died to sin. And he made a bad choice. So the capacity is there as a believer for you to make sinful choices. But God comes now to live into you, and because of the blood of Jesus, he'll never leave you. Woo, that's great news. 
so that he can help you live holy and right. And we see that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead, so think about the power of that statement. The spirit (coughs) that rolled a stone away, that shook hell, that caused demons to tremble and release the keys of death and hell. That spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He lives in you. The the caverns of hell-shaking power of God lives in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What's he saying there? He's saying that I've come to live in you to empower you so that your flesh doesn't dominate you, but so that you can give place to the spirit on the inside of you. What he's saying is, is you're not alone in the effort. You're not alone trying to live holy. Even though I've given you a spirit that wants to live right and a flesh that sometimes you have a flesh still to deal with until Jesus returns that wars against your spirit. He said, I live in you to help you, to empower you to make that right choice. We see it in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to stop being addicted to something? You want to stop habitual behavior that's bad for you? Just learn to yield to the Spirit within you. Amen. See, some people, some people can't do that because the, their flesh is just too loud. It's the more dominant voice in their life. Right? But here's the thing. If that's the spot you're in, I just believe this this morning. If that's the spot you're in this morning, the power that shook hell is available to shake you free from that fleshly thing and set you free and prop up that power on the inside of you so that that voice of God will become the more dominant voice in your life that you can obey. He'll never make you walk in the Spirit. You'll still have to choose it. That's why it says walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desires, uh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice this. Now this is really important. The acts of the flesh are obvious and so here are things that can bind people. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. What is that? Well, there's a whole kit and caboodle of things that could be, right? Not not being married and sleeping together or sleeping around, right? That's not godly. That ain't right. But you know what? Just here, here's the thing. You know, you talk about that in church, and all of a sudden, if, if somebody's in here that's do, that has done that or is doing that, all of a sudden they go like, oh God, oh God, please don't tell anybody. Set first of all. And secondly, oh God, God's mad at me now. I told you, God's not mad at you. He wants to get in the middle of it with you and help you out of it. Amen. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. What's debauchery? You know what debauchery is? It's just uncontrollable behavior. I mean, it's just, I mean, wild, crazy, drinking, running, just that debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. God help me. <laughs> you want to, I'm a redhead by nature. Thank God he's helping me overcome that. I, boy, I got to tell you, when I drive, I have to be thankful for the love of God. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. What is that? You know, just constantly at war with people and talking bad about them. 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. No, he says that's, those are some of the works of the flesh. People can be bound by that. Now, he doesn't say that to condemn people. He's saying you need to be aware. These things are harmful to you. They're works of the flesh. But notice what he goes on to say. I warn you, as I did before, those, th those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is he saying you're going to hell because you do? That's not what he's saying. Jesus said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Ghost. What he's saying is, is if you live like the devil, you ain't going to have righteousness, peace, and joy in your life. You're not going to have peace. And I'm not just talking about everything's quiet and peaceful for a moment or because you've got some app that gives you some zen thing to listen to for a little bit, right? You know, that's one of the things I, I switched from cable to YouTube TV and YouTube TV are like, you want to skip the commercial and have a little zen? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take a little zen. Hit the button, click, 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 just something just peaceful, you know, and you're like, ooh, this feels pretty good. But that ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about real peace of heart. See, there are people all over the world that look peaceful on the outside, but their heart is unsettled. They're not happy. They don't know where they belong. They're struggling to figure it out. And he says the only way you can find that is to be devoid of these other things. And he says the way you do that is by walking in the Spirit. Not by doing it by your own strength, but yielding to the power of the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, go on and read. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, notice this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, what he says is he recreated you, gave you a born-again nature. You have this nature of love, joy, peace, all this stuff on the inside of you. Then he came to make up his residence in you and live in you and to empower you. And if you'll just die to the flesh and you'll actually allow the Spirit to take hold in your life, even if your flesh is screaming so loud that, no, this is the right way to go. Right? Because your flesh will do that. I don't want to let go of this. This looks fun. This is happy. But the happiness is fleeting. It's momentary. But he says if you'll yield to the Spirit, he'll lead you to that peace and joy of life that, that he came up with. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What do he say? He says every day I get up, it's like, no, Lord Jesus, you live through me. You live through me. You live through me. Not me living through me. You live through me. He says, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, the life that I'm walking out here in this body on this planet, my decision is to allow Christ to live through me instead of my flesh to live through me. And so once again, why am I saying all that? Because God, I, I want you to understand something. God rejoices when that kind of truth prevails in your life. And he's not standing on the sidelines judging you, saying, Do you, did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? He's saying, I am here to help you. He's not against you this morning. He is for you. He finds joy and truth prevailing in your life. So if you're struggling with something this morning, man, you ain't got to run from him. You ain't got to hide from him. Run to him because he's there to help you. Now, here's another aspect, and we'll, this is my last point. I promise we won't go much longer. Another aspect of God rejoicing in truth is the joy he has when you get separated from the repercussions of evil. 
Notice 3 John, 3 John 2. It says, dear friends, I pray that you may enjoy good health. Everybody say good health. And that, you, and, and that all may go well with you. Everybody say all go well with me. Even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came. So he says, we read those other verses. He says, I got great joy in knowing you're walking in the truth. But leading up to that, what he said in verse 2 is, notice what he said. I pray, he says, and as a matter of fact, it says in the King James, I wish above all things that you'd be in health and prosper. See, not only does he take joy in you walking in the truth and living morally right, but he takes great joy. Why does he take joy in you living morally right? Just so you can live morally right? No, he takes great joy in it because of the results it produces. And he takes great joy in you then being in health that comes from righteous living, godly living. I, you say, well, I know godly people that were sick. They just don't realize Jesus paid for their stripes yet. He took stripes to pay for their healing yet. They may know it up here, but it hasn't settled in their heart where faith takes hold and drives it out. But he says, I take no greater joy than knowing that you're in health and that you're prospering. So one of the things that God is excited about when it comes to truth and is not the unfairness of evil being in your life, sickness, disease, bondage, being captive, but he takes great joy in that unfairness, you being separated from it, you being sanctified from it, and you stepping into who it is he's called you to be, an overcomer, a conqueror, a heel to the Lord, the righteousness. That's what God takes great joy in. It's not just the moral rightness that he takes joy in, but it's actually you being set free from the things of this life that are not fair. I mean, i got to tell you right now, God began to deal with me about this as I was praying and thinking about this over just the last couple of days. How many things in my life have I looked at that said they weren't fair? And the minute I said they weren't fair, I didn't look at it like, they're not fair and I ain't taking this. But I looked at it like, there ain't, that, that ain't fair and it shackled me to the situation I'm in right now, right? God began to challenge me and say, you're not shackled by the unfairness of life because I take joy in setting you free from those injustices so that you can live above them. You want to know one of the reasons it's so easy to walk in love if you really understand it? It's easy to walk in love because you realize that no person has the ability to hinder your life from being what God said it should be. Nobody does. The only reason our life is not what God said it should be when someone did something to us is because we bought into the lie that that thing has power over us to hold us back from, be, from rising to what God tells us. And so Jesus said, I take great joy in not only you being morally right in your life, but I take joy in you being sanctified from the repercussions of sin, sickness, disease, poverty, bondage, all of those things. John chapter 8 and verse 31, notice Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you, know, you shall know the truth. And notice these phrase, this phrase, powerful phrase, and the truth shall make you free. When God rejoices in truth, it means he rejoices in your freedom. He rejoices in whatever you're dealing with this morning. He's excited about setting you free from it. As a matter of fact, because of Jesus, he already has. It's just a matter of receiving the manifestation of it. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons Jesus came. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to destroy evil in your life. And what are his works? How many of you realize that the works of the devil are not just sin and you getting to sin? The devil always wants you to sin to separate you from God's best. 
and to separate you from God. When God told Adam to, uh, when, when the devil told Adam to bite that fruit and Eve to bite that fruit, it wasn't so they would just sin. It was so he could separate. God, the devil hates God. He is diametrically opposed and, 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 and angry and mad at God. That's, that's the devil for you. And anything he can do to get back at God, he'll try to do it. And one of the things he knows he can do, if people will allow him to, is to hurt the people that God loves. Loves. And what we find here is that Jesus came to destroy, us, uh, to, to destroy the works of the devil and set us free from him doing that to us. What are the works of the devil? Here it is. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Everybody say steal. Everybody say kill. Everybody say destroy. Man, this is doctrine 101 for anybody that's a believer. And I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Doctrine 101. Jesus, from the lips of the Savior, from the lips of the one who said, Thy word is truth. He says, here it is. If it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying in your life, it ain't from God. If it's giving you life and bringing abundance, then it's from me. Jesus came to destroy those works. He came to set you free from being a victim of the consequences of sin and wrong decisions. And so God is not, he does not take joy in injustice. That would tell me this, that when bad things happen in your life, it ain't ever God trying to do something in your life. Some people say, yeah, but I learned something really good. You can go from the, to the school of hard knocks and learn a lot of things. Good things. Just because you went there doesn't mean God sent you there or he sent it to you. You just made some choices that put you there. But the reality is this, is that he came to set you free from the consequences of sin. And so, you know, as I think about that, as I was preparing this morning, as I'm closing the service, as the musicians come. I was really praying, Lord, what do you want to accomplish this morning? What do you want to do in the hearts of your people? What do you want to do in the hearts of those that show up? What do you want to do in that one that showed up that may have a specific need that nobody else has? And as I was praying about it, I really felt like God was saying this. I really felt like he's saying, I came to set you free from what is not fair. I believe that Many people, and I said this at the beginning of the message, many people have shackled their life from being all that God has called it to be because they believe that the unfairness of life has limited them from experiencing the best of, that God has to offer. Jesus takes no pleasure in the unfairness, the injustice of life, but he rejoices in the truth. He is waiting to set you free from whatever is unfair in your life that has shackled you. He's ready to take the ceiling off your life so that you can be everything God has called you to be. We see it clearly in the definition of love here. Love does not delight in evil. Or God, because he is love, does not delight in evil. He rejoices in truth prevailing. He's there to set you free from habits you may be struggling with. And he's there to set you free from an unfairness that you feel has hindered your life. You may have been diagnosed with a sickness and you say, it's just not fair, but I'm dealing with it. He, I am sick and tired of believers believing 
that lifelong diseases are meant to stay with them when they're diagnosed with them. He came to free you from the injustice of sin, including sickness. He came to set you free from struggling with addiction and habitual behavior that is hindering your life. Not in, he's not angry at you. He's here to joyfully come running and set you free. This is what Jesus said. You shall know the truth, and the truth won't condemn you. It'll make you free. This morning, he's looking to do that in the lives of some people, I believe. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. One translation who says his heart is right towards him. God is just looking with bated breath. He's not on the sidelines saying you got to do it on your own, deal with it. He is there with bated breath, joyfully saying, man, I want to help you. I'm, I'm excited to get, put me in, coach. <laughs> right? He's excited to come running into your life and provide the freedom that you're looking for. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 says, Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. God wants you to leave here this morning with an understanding and a freedom that truth just won out in my life. Unfairness can't hold me back. The wrongs that I've suffered cannot hold me back. The imperfections in my own life and the mistakes that I've made cannot hold me back. Why? Because he's excited for truth prevailing instead of unfairness taking root. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I believe I've shared what you wanted me to share with your people this morning. I believe with all of my heart there may be those here that have lived under the guise of a lie that the unfairness or injustice of something that happened in their past hinders them from being everything you say they can be. You rejoice in setting us free. You're all about our freedom. So if there be anybody here this morning, Father, I pray that this message is spoken to their heart, that you're dealing with their heart, that you're preparing faith in them even now to receive deliverance and freedom from that shackle in their life. First of all, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You're not sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. You're worried about that. You're concerned about that. When I said that, you were like, I don't know. You can know. And it's not because you're perfect or holy. It's simply because you've accepted Jesus. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you never said, Jesus, come live in my heart. I want the guarantee of salvation. I want to be a child of God. And so I accept what you did for me on the cross when you shed your blood for me and rose from the dead. If that's you and you've never done that and you want to do that, you want to leave with that insurance, would you raise your hand and say, yes, it's me. I want to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Just a moment. I want to wait just a moment. Okay. Secondly, I want you to stand to your feet with me because I'm, I'm just going to obey the Lord and do what he told me to do. Stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the worship team just to play a song. You can sing along with them if you want. I'm going to ask you right in your seat while you're standing to close your eyes and take a moment of worship. If you're here this morning and you're bound by something, the truth has come to set you free. 
I want to pray for you. I want to join hands with you. Do as the scripture says. I want to lay my hands on you. I want to pray for you. And I want to, I want to see you walk out of here free from addictive behavior. And I, I know there's some here. I know it. But, but there are some that maybe it's not addictive behavior. So if anybody comes, I don't want anybody, oh, what are they addicted to? No, because there are others here. You've just been wronged in your life. Maybe you've been wronged by a, sick diag- a diagnosis of sickness that's not fair. Maybe, maybe you've been wronged by an individual and you said, because of that individual, I can't be everything I'd like to be. You're free from that. I believe there's a moment of deliverance. I believe there's a shackle. There's a, there's a chain that God wants to release from your ankles this morning. So that you're not limited in anything that he's called you to. So close your eyes. If you just lead us in some worship, if you're here this morning and you can answer that call that I want to be free from this, I want to lay it down once and for all. If you can do that, please make your way to the front right now. Let me lay your hands on. Let me pray with you. Anyone at all? I see one. I think you come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jason, I need you to come up here because I need to pray for you. I thank you so much that you are a God that does not rejoice in the injustice of life. Life sometimes has a way of jumping up and just doing what's not fair. Little things from unexpected car repairs and bills we didn't expect (laughs) to bigger things of betrayal and hurt from others to even other things of diagnoses from doctors and symptoms that are very real and that are facts that we deal with jumping upon our lives. All of those things are not fair. But Jesus came to set us free from being victims to the unfair. And the truth of God is, is that we're free from that. You rejoice in our freedom. And as we yield to your spirit on the inside of us and the promises of your truth that you've given us, we can walk free from those things. Thank you that you love us that much. I give you praise and thanks for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, there's prayer partners here this morning. Welcome Buzz and Sherry back. We missed them for a couple of weeks. They'll be at the front. If you have something personally you'd like to talk to someone about and pray about, they'll be there for you. But let me pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning before I, as I dismiss you. Father, thank you so much that you're a God of freedom. You're a God that rejoices in helping us overcome. You're on our side. You're fighting for us. You're working with us. And I thank you for doing that throughout the course of this week. Thank you for your angels camped about us, keeping us safe and protected and bringing us back to worship with you again and again. We give you praise and thanks for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Happy New Year. We'll see you hopefully Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.